You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's the Undercard. The Undercard brings you the best in hand combat sports. Featuring major interviews, current events, and the hottest ring girls from around the nation. The Undercard. And gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's the Undercard. The Undercard brings you the best in hand combat sports, featuring major interviews, current events, and the hottest ring girls from around the nation. The Undercard is sponsored by Falling Down Beer Company, Podcast and Church Studios, and is produced by Rochelle Witten. And now, here are your hosts, Brad. Cody and Jimmy. Hello, there we are. Seriously. There we are. Welcome to the undercard. I don't know if we had an intro today, but it's uh, episode two, three oh six. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so this show is going to be a little bit very abbreviated and it's also gonna have just kind of one guest and then i'll talk about some other stuff really quickly though the who's playing like literally a block or two away i mean the who's pretty fucking cool in my book so um i I totally forgot about that but um today's show is going to uh focus on uh jared chauvin who, uh, disclaimer, I represent as a manager, but who's fighting this week in uh, Madison Square Gardens against Diego Pacheco. And uh, Diego Pacheco is uh, signed with, uh, uh, he's under contract with Matchroom Boxing. Uh, young kid, they signed him at 17, fought uh, fought him a couple times out of country, and then he, f- he fought in his home state of California, and now he's going to be in New York. But so this is like one of those old-time undercard shows that is just about getting to know about somebody that motivates them, what, what they got him into the fight business. Now a little bit about Jared. Uh, he is undefeated to an O as an MMA star. And I will tell you that MMA is probably his future. We talk about it. Like I said, full disclo- disclosure, I'm his manager. Um, he's one and two, but he had a no contest against Josh uh, Wiesel uh, in boxing. But the one thing that we do know is he's got a hell of a chin uh, and he's 33 years age. And um, we're going to call him up right now and waste no time and get Jared on the line. Hello. Hello, Jared. You're live on the undercard. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? <laughs> we're good. Uh, this we're live with Jared Chauvin. Uh, like I said, uh, full disclosure before we called you that I do represent you as a manager, but I think it'll even make m- for a more fun, honest interview. So, how you doing, Jared? 
Um, doing great. Doing great. Just uh, getting done with my first training session for the night and getting ready to go in the second one. Feeling good. <laughs> All right. As uh, I mentioned before, uh, you're fighting Diego uh, Pacheco. That's happening Saturday night on the uh, Joshua uh, Ruiz undercard at Madison Square Gardens. Just tell us about, I don't know, fight, getting a chance to fight at Madison Square Gardens first. Yeah, so um, like you can imagine, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, it's the mecca of boxing. I mean, the greats, you know, Ali, Frazier, you know, Tyson, everybody. I mean, they all fought there. Um, you know, championships are won and lost there. Uh, it's it's really just an amazing experience for for anybody, but especially for a fighter as young as myself. You know, it's you know I've only been professional a little over a year and a half now, and just to get this opportunity is just so incredible. And you know, it's you know I obviously I have to thank my team. You know, between you and you know our coach Bobby and just everyone else who was involved. It's it's a just. It's an amazing experience. I don't think I can really put into words on how awesome this is and how excited I am to have it. Not only the boxing, but how many concerts. I think Eddie Vedder said or Dane Cook said that uh, you've never played a place until you, you've never played a stadium until you played Madison Square Gardens. And I, I, I'll show you the quote in the back rooms. It, it, it's like literally on one of the walls. The Knicks play there. Um, one of the oldest arenas. It's down, you know, it's not too far from Times Square. It's right in Manhattan. But the WrestleManias that happen there, the concerts that happen there, I mean, Madison Square Gardens, not even boxing alone, is just like the iconic building. I, I think that's the cool uh, the cool thing about just the walls, how much that the walls in that building have seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I even think just like you were saying to touch on that point, you know, as far as the venue, I mean, worldwide, it's probably one of the most well-known venues, whether it's a sporting event or an entertainment event of any kind. And I mean, you say Madison Square Gardens or MSG, everyone knows what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's not one of those local ones. Like we say DTE around here. Everyone's like, what, where? <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> um, it, it, it's, it's cool. You know, I mean, you have that recognition, that name recognition. And when you say you fought there, everyone's like, oh, you must, you know, you must be like, you know, one of the best fighters in the world. And it's like, you know, well, I'm on the other card, you know, but I'm, I'm working my way up there, you know. So it's funny trying to explain that to people because they just, they know. It's like you said, there's name recognition there, brand recognition there, and it's the history, you know, which is just, like, I'm, again, it's just, it, 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 it puts a feeling of excitement in you that you've never really had before. Now, we'll circle 360 all the way back to the fight at the end, but I, I like to get to know people um, uh, when we started the undercard, uh, getting to hear people's stories. Um, How did you get involved in fighting? What was what, what was your first experience in your life that you're like, I might want to try that, whether it be your wrestling background or anything? What, what was your first experience? So... I would probably have to say my first experience started off in high school when I actually did join the wrestling team. And, uh, you know, I, it's a competitive sport. Um, there's really not a whole lot of strikes, but there's aggression. And if you've ever wrestled at a top level wrestling program, whether it be college or even high school, um, it, it's intense. I mean, and it's physical. And, I mean, you, it, it's nothing for me to leave every day with a bloody nose, black eye you know, broken fingers, broken toes. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those sports where, you know, if you can handle it in that circle with another man that, you know, you can do it anywhere else. And then, you know, I kind of just through college, you know, I looked at weights and stuff and, you know, uh, had a, a walk on 
uh, tryout that, you know, didn't necessarily go my way. You know, I was offered an extended tryout, but I just decided not to go that route and pursue my studies. Um, but, you know, throughout college, I'd watch, you know, any, all types of MMA, um, you know, WEC, UFC, you know, Bellator, whatever was out there. And then um, after college, I, you know, I was overweight. You know, I got married, got comfortable a little bit. So I started um, boxing on a regular basis at New Way Martial Arts. And then about six months into it, my coach, Bobby Curtis, came up to me. And after he got off the phone and said, hey, you've been doing this a while. Do you want to actually fight somebody? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, yeah, you know, why not? I'll, I'll check it off the bucket list. You know, I think I can do this. And he's, you know, he kind of asked me the same question. He did. He's like, you ever been in a fight before? You ever do anything? And I said, yeah, I wrestled. You know, I, I, I think I'll be okay. You know, I, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Um, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. You know, I, I started off with kickboxing and then I did a boxing fight and then just another fight and another fight. And, you know, here we are five years later. That's a great story. So how do you approach your wife, though, about like, I mean, you, like you said, you're, you're putting the roots in the ground and, you know, you're you're doing it for fitness to get the uh, the wedding 15 off or whatever it's called. And <laughs> and you go to your wife and you're like, at this stage in my life, I'm going to take a fight. Yeah, you know, um, so tough conversation for sure. Um, I think on both sides of the fence, uh, just because number one, you know, you're thinking, Oh God, how is she going to take this? And then on the other side of the fence, you know, she's like, I really don't want, you know, anything to happen to you. You know, you're my husband, you're my father, you know, the father of our children, you know, all this stuff. And really, I just kind of explained to her, you know, we're, we're really prepared. We go into every fight camp, you know, knowing who we're fighting, we make our preparations and we have a game plan and we stick to that game plan, you know, and I think over the last couple of years, uh, she's had a little more ease with it just because of my experience level. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I think before I finished my amateur career, I think I had about 30 or 40 fights total. So, you know, and I've been fighting a year and a half, almost nonstop now. So I think now she's a little more comfortable with it, but, you know, initially it was, it was a tough conversation to have, you know, and I think if anyone cares about anybody, you know, it is a tough conversation to have, whether you're me or, you know, Anthony Joshua going to fight, you know, for the title again. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of people that start off in fitness and then work their way over, especially in women, women MMA and stuff like that. And it's just, did you experience like an, an adrenaline rush? Was it what was exciting about working with Bobby and Izzy at New Way that you're like, you know what, I do want to see one more level of this? Was it like a adrenaline, or, or you liked your body results? What, what was it that made you take that next step? You, you know, it's a lot of things, but if I really had to put a point on it, I would say it's definitely the, comp the competitive environment that's there. And then the winning, the feeling after you win. Um, if you've ever done anything where you've won, imagine doing that, but on a physical level. And it's just a whole nother experience that it's, uh, it's one of those things that you really, for me, it's hard to put into words. Like everyone asked me kind of like you just did, like, 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 why are you doing this? How are you doing this? And for me, it's, you know, I've been at several points in my career where it's like, you know, okay, maybe this is the last one or maybe this is it. But then I go out there and it's like you win and you just listen to the crowd scream your name and, you know, you're putting your hand up and, you know, you just you dominated another human being against their will. I mean, there's something to be said there for that. And it's, I think, 
it probably goes back even though to, you know, ancient Greece and all that, when, you know, those guys would do this, you know, gladiators, you know, you just, it, it's just a, a feeling that you can't get anywhere else in this world that, you know, some people would call it a adre- adrenaline junkies and that's what they get. They get a high from it. It's not even that it goes beyond that, you know, and it's, it's, you know, to, like I said, again, just being able to impose your will on somebody who doesn't want it and then what it takes to get to that level. It's just, there's no feeling like it, no feeling like it. That, that's super, man. I, I mean, that's a great answer. It, it took it took my question and even made it better. The one thing I like about you, and, and actually a lot of people I represent, is that you don't care who you fight. And like, uh, so when this offer came about, um, we had like a really short timeline. We were offered a guy before, and you know, we, we whatever happened. But then we were offered, and we couldn't get Coach Bobby on really quick. But we all agreed that everything always gets agreed as a team. And you were just like, no, just take it, just take it, just take it. And you, you, you were ready for it. And I, I love that, like that attitude. That I have, uh, uh, you know, a few fighters like that. It's just like they don't care. You know, they're just like, yeah, I, I want to fight, you know, and uh, is that the yeah. competitive spirit or is that just like you want more, a little bit more than the competitive st- spirit? Is that more of you're always seeking a challenge? You know, yeah, it, it's that. And, you know, it, it's like, it's funny you're asking this question because this um, about I think two months ago, I actually went um, and traveled to Philadelphia for uh, bare knuckle fighting championships. And, um, you know, uh, the owner, Dave Feldman, he, you know, he asked us a question, you know, what, what is your why? You know, why do you do this? What gets you up? Why do you go and, you know, willingly go get hit in the face or the body or whatever it is? You know, what, what gets you going to do that? And, uh, you know, it's funny on the way home, you know, we were sitting here, we were talking about it and, you know, this kind of touches on your question where, you know, I do this because people look at me and they think I shouldn't, I do this because, you know, there, there's, there's always, you know, someone who looks at someone and says, that's a prototypical fighter. Well, I don't look like the prototypical fighter, but when I'm in that ring and I go toe to toe with you, you're going to know who I am by the time I I leave. You're never going to want to fight me again. And you're never, ever, ever going to want to be even in the same ring with me or even have my name brought up with your name. And that's how I've always fought. That's how I wrestled. My coaches, when I was wrestling, they always said, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, but you hurt that person. You make sure they remember your name and they never want to fight you again. And that's how I go at it 110% every time. I'm not going to sit there. I don't have time to sit there and say, you know, oh, I'm going to be nice to you this round because, you know, I beat you up last round. No, I'm pretty much going to try and hurt you every single round. And that's why if you watch my fights, you'll see. I mean, my my aggression builds. It doesn't slow down as I get tired. It, it goes and it goes and it goes. And I don't care who you stick in front of me. It doesn't bother me. A name's a name, a resume's a resume. I've This guy I'm fighting, Diego, his resume's no different than half the people I've fought. Right. So what makes him, what, what, what makes him a standout? Because because he lives in Los Angeles because of who signed him. I mean, is that really what we're supposed to define people by? No, we put ourselves in the ring and we're going to let the, we're going to let the judges or we're going to let the fighters decide who's going to be the best at the end of the day. Yeah. I say this all the time, man. Potential is a word that you can only use once on somebody. And if you have to use it twice, uh, then you, you, the guy didn't live up to it. And there's no question that Diego has potential because they saw something into him. But, uh, the one compelling thing about this touching on the match here is that 
I, you know, I, I know this doesn't come into the ring, but I think it kind of does, dude. I like your age advantage over a kid that just turned 18. And there's, there's men at 18, like Mike Tyson, you know what I'm saying? They're like, he was a man, you know what I'm saying? Customato oh, yeah. got him, got him there. Uh, Diego just, he seems nice. I just, I remember myself at 18. I was not a man yet at 18, you know? So yeah. I, I think that's an advantage, the life experiences you bring in. I really do. So, yeah. And I, you know, and I just, you know, I'll touch on that too. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, your life experiences and some of the stuff you've done, they make you tougher. And I mean, I'm not even talking like from, you know, you can throw all the life stuff and, you know, all the hard times you might've been on. Cause I got those too. You know what I mean? It's, but, you know, I'm just talking like even through training and through, you know, tough fights and easy fights and, you know, the fights that you probably shouldn't have been in, but you were there and how you responded. I'll tell you right now, I've never backed my very first fight, uh, Brad, I'll tell you, this is actually a funny story. My very first fight, I went into the one that Bobby was like, Hey, you want to do this? I went out there and I did that. And I literally, and I'll admit this, I got the crap kicked out of me three <laughs> rounds, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, but you asked Bobby the, that Monday I was back in there and I told him, I went up to him and I said, I want you to find me a fight. I'm going to cut some more weight and let's see if we can do this a different way. And he was like, okay, fine. And you know, like that's, that's my mentality. That's how I do things. I don't sit there and take a beating. I'm like, Oh, I feel sorry for myself or I'll just give up. No, it's, you got to go back harder. You know, you gotta, you gotta win that one. You got to get it back because if you go out on a loss or if you give yourself up, you're, you're never going to respect yourself. You know, and in my opinion, no one can ever respect you, whether it's in the fight game or in life. Now you're, you, you got, you got the family life already. So don't be embarrassed to answer this question really quickly, but you come from oh, yeah. a very professional background. And so like yeah. your day job's a professional job. I'm going to ask it right now. Have you had to wear makeup to cover up a black eye? <laughs> nope, I have not, but I definitely have had to come up with some pretty interesting stories. <laughs> okay. I didn't know if you went the makeup yeah. route, if the wife's like, you can't go in there like that, and she touched you up with, what, what would it be, like powder or something like that? Yeah. Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've, uh, you know I, I've, I've had to use the, you know, the kid had butted me a couple times, that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've used some other ones where I was playing with the dog or something, and, you know, I got an elbow or something. I don't know. I've... I've come up with some really interesting stories, but, uh, you know, it is funny though. It's, um, you know, the, the customers, like some of the ones that I know and I talk to on a more regular basis, they know I do this. And I mean, those just, they come in, they think it's the greatest thing ever. They'll talk my ear off for an hour. <laughs> There's something compelling about the fight game. I was just, I was just rewatching, uh, an old Rocky movie and it, it's why so many movies, or or so many lyrics like uh, Simon and Garfunkel's The Boxer where they finally get to the end of the song and it's talking about life. There's something about fighting that people resonate with with their life about, you know, when you get knocked down, you got to get back up, you know, and uh, hey, that was only round 11 and 12. And so I think that's why people probably want to talk to you because like a, a lot of people don't get to meet somebody that's a real fighter but yet they recognize their everyday challenges and relate it to a boxer it's been done forever you know the the rocky movies are a prime example it was an underdog who got you know a shot of a lifetime or um you know it's just something that people relate to in their everyday lives that when they feel like they've been knocked down that's kind of what they think of like a, a boxing kind of metaphor well you gotta get back up you know and continue fighting you know mm -hmm. Um, so that's oh, yeah. probably, probably why I would imagine. Yeah. You know, and I, and honestly, 
I think people who have struggles or have had a struggle, they relate to that, you know? And I mean, there's people at different struggles, financial, drugs, whatever. And, but, you know, it's usually when to overcome those struggles, it's, it's a fight, you know, one way or the other. And it's, you know, sometimes your fights, you know, you're getting hit in the face. Sometimes you're just dealing with some type of a pain, whether emotional or physical. And yeah, I mean, it's, that's exactly it. I think you hit it right on the head. It's, it's, you know, people resonate with that and they can understand that. And, you know, I, I think in a way it kind of inspires them a little bit to, you know, fight their fight or continue fighting their fight. And because they know that if they fight it, you know, they could, there could be something else on the other side or something better on the other side. So yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. Now let's talk a little bit about your team from New Way. Uh, great people. You got fir- first off, uh, Coach Bobby and Coach Izzy. Uh, they mm-hmm. just celebrated their uh, wedding anniversary yesterday. Eighteen years. Eighteen years. So somewhere in that yeah. gym, there's a fountain of youth because I swear to you, besides him cutting his hair differently, they look the exact same. They've not aged at all since that wedding mm-hmm. picture like so you got to find that fountain of youth and like just like hang out there you and sunshine oh but uh yeah, they don't yeah. they don't even look like they've aged but uh tell us working with bobby and izzy what what's unique about their coaching styles um that that drive somebody like you like as you said that um you know i even reference this through through life there's certain bosses that i can work for and there's certain uh people i can't work for there's certain people that um i can hang around i can't hang around what makes them right for you what 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 challenges you by these coaches you know i i think it's a couple things um the the first off i think bobby has um bobby in particular has a personality where um, it's kind of magnetic, you know, like people get drawn to him and especially if you start talking to him, you know, he, he's got a charisma about him that, you know, you, you just like, you're like, okay, like I understand where he's going with that or, you know, yeah, I agree with him on that. And, you know, like even, you know, Izzy and Jason, the other coach and owner, um, you know, these guys are just, they're so welcoming. You know, a lot of times you walk into a place and especially um, New Way, which if you've never seen New Way, it's a very intimidating place because it's so big and there's mm-hmm. always so many people there. And sometimes it's hard just to walk in the door and introduce yourself and jump right into class, you know, but uh, these, these people, they, they have really made it, you know, part of their lifestyle where they're just always welcoming people in. And then, you know, Bobby is, you know, he's one of those people where when he says he believes in you, he believes in you, but then he also shows it by giving you the support you need and everything you ask for and, you know, making sure that you need for nothing or making sure that, you know, you understand he's there if you do need something. And, uh, you know, he's, he has him, Jason and Izzy, they have built something here that I think is going to stand the test of time. And I think that if they continue to keep doing what they're doing, they're going to have a team that is second to none in the country, maybe even the world. Um, you know, I can say personally from my experience, um, you know, obviously I, you know, you and I have over the last few minutes, I've been talking about some of the things I got going for me, some of the things I got going on in my life. And, you know, these three have always said, you can do it. You can do anything you want to do. You just got to be able to make the commitment to me. And if you can do that, we can get you there. And they've come through time and time again. And, you know, we've, we've been on a pretty wild ride so far and, you know, we're going to continue to keep going because it's, we only look, it only looks like we got stuff going up from here. You know, they've put together a great team, boxing, MMA, jujitsu, um, you, know, you name it, they do it. And I just think that um, if anyone's willing to give them a chance, they'll find themselves, you know, with a family and new friends.
Yeah, I, I believe I totally believe in that family that you guys have out there. And uh, like I said, uh, a coach is something special. Like not not everybody responds to coaches. Like I, somebody told me the other day, uh, you know, uh, oh, I, I want to stay loyal. And there's a certain extent to that, but there's a certain extent to you got to be able to respond to that person, you know, and, and it, you know, it's a unique bond between coaches and, and fighters. And that it's, a, it's something that most people don't see. And, uh, the Glovekin situation with Abel Sanchez is the one that comes up the most right now. And, you know, Abel says it was about money. Glovekin says it was about change. But I, I, I do believe that, like, you know, it's just sometimes, you know, there, there could be a situation, but I really like how you, Bobby, Izzy, I've seen you around Sunshine, who, who's fighting in a couple weeks. How you guys all get along, joke around. It, it seems like a lot of fun. It doesn't seem like training when you guys are training. I, and I know you're taking it serious, but it seems like a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and, and, you know, that's, I think it's like anything, you know, work or life. You got you got to have fun while you're doing it. You can be as serious as you want to. And, uh, but if you don't enjoy it, then you suck the life out of everything, you know. And uh, Bobby, like this, this crew over here, they just, they do such a fantastic job of just building you up. You know what I mean? And it's it's one of those uh, things that I don't think you can teach. I think it's just something that you're kind of born with or something you have in you. And, you know, this school, the, the, you know, the people that they put in charge of classes and what's going on around them, they've, they've built that. But they can also see that these people have what it takes to build a following or build a class or, you know, do the same thing they're, they're doing as far as welcoming people into the fold. And uh, it's... It, They've grown, you know, and it's their success shows. That's awesome. Well, I can guarantee two things happen this weekend. One, there is not a better dressed guy at the weigh-ins at about 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock at Madison Square Gardens than you. You got that. And then the other thing I can guarantee is that uh, Diego has not faced anybody uh, nearly as tough as you, and that's where we're going in. And uh, we won't reveal game plans because we don't do that, but uh, I'm very excited to represent you. very excited for this weekend. And uh, you do have a Facebook page, uh, Jared uh, Chauvin. Uh, we'll, we'll start plugging that out and, uh, you enjoy the last few days of camp and, uh, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate all the support. June 1st. All right. Take care, Jared. And that's Jared who is fighting June 1st on the undercard Mm -hmm. of, uh, Joshua Ruiz and, um, just, just, just a building that has so much history and I'm not a Nick fan. I'm not a, uh, Rochelle, a uh, uh, Ranger fan. I'm not even so much a City of New York fan, although it's top seven, top eight. But um, you go in there and you do realize that, like, shit, this place has seen stuff. Like, Wrigley Field, to me, is, like, very emotional, right? Because that's my childhood, right? And I love that it's old. But you got to, even though I have no emotional attachment to Madison Square Gardens, right? I wasn't a huge Muhammad Ali fan, wasn't a huge Joe Frazier fan, you know, Joe Lewis is my boxer. There's just something to be said about, like, being surrounded by that much history. I even threw in WrestleMania there because WrestleMania took place there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just, you know, and uh, I think it was Eddie Vedder. I don't want to misquote it. Or Dane Cook. And it's, it's literally... In the back rooms, it says you've never played a place. You've never you've never played a place until you played Madison Square Gardens. And I I, I think the one thing I, I've talked to Jared about over and over. Not only do we hope to come out of w- with a win, but I mean that's just something when the grandkids are around. We know he has a family that 
you're going to say that, you know what, I boxed at Madison Square Garden once. And that's just going to be a cool thing to tell your um, your family. I mean, you know. Well, yeah, and I, I think the the gym will have um, a big sense of pride behind him. Right. After this fight. I don't think of – I can't – really quickly. Uh Caesar's Palace doesn't even do the parking lot shows anymore, but it would be Caesar's Palace would be uh, the second. I mean, that's the place to box. Like that. That's the, that's that's the one. Like I mean, that would be like if you were at Wrigley Field, Fenway, or, or Yankee Stadium. Like you got or the old Yankee Stadium, not the new one. Like you got to play one of the old old parks if you were a ball player and you'd look around. It would be Madison Square Gardens, and uh, not only that. Like I said. Um, I'm very excited to see uh, Jared because I, I know he's taken this super serious. I mean, he always takes everything serious. But, um, God, I, I, when I was 18, you know, I, I just – I don't know. You know, I wasn't put against 33-year-old opponents. Like, I, I just don't know. I, I really think his his life uh, – <clears throat> It's, it sounds so stupid to say because I'm part of the fight business because somebody's going to say it doesn't matter when a right hook comes. But I really do think that like it's a little bit of an advantage, the age there. Um, well, it's when I know it was saw Jared training. I mean, the respect he has for Bobby, mm-hmm. even though they're, you know, basically age wise, they're peers. Right. And. I don't think you have that. I don't I don't think it's possible to really have that at 18. And that sense of maturity, I think it's going to shine through mm-hmm. in the fight. Yeah, I'm absolutely hoping. Um uh the other thing I wanted to talk about uh really quickly uh the who is going on and then oh, I was going to talk Juice World a little bit with you. But um uh, besides the Madison Square Garden aspect, uh, we do have to talk that I just found out that Deontay Wilder was invited. Uh, I knew he was invited by Eddie Hearn to be ringside for the Anthony Joshua fight, but he has declined it, according to news sources. So it looks like no matter what happens, that the Joshua Wilder fight is not expected to happen, which makes no sense. I mean, just, I mean, but really quickly, if you're Joshua, and I haven't made my predictions yet on Tapology. If you want to follow me on Tapology, it's Kid Vegas nineteen. Um, when I make my predictions on Tapology, uh, I am definitely picking Joshua. I don't know how long Ruiz can last. Uh, he's a fast heavyweight. We've seen him up close, ringside at Ma- uh, not Madison Square at uh, Masonic Temple. Uh, he's a fast heavyweight, but if you're Joshua, you got to close the show quick to respond to what just happened with Wilder. So I, I expect Joshua to be swinging a little bit quicker. And you know, I, I you know it's heavyweight, so I don't need the weigh in. Um, third third round, maybe fourth round stoppage by Joshua. But I'm disappointed that Wilder's not going to be there because everybody wants to see it. They're the two biggest guys, and, and you know it's good for the sport. Um, as my partner Bob Ryder always says, it, it's bad when these these mega stars avoid each other. And I was just talking about people that I represent that will fight anybody. Like I mean, it is crazy, dude. Uh, he didn't uh, want to know the record. He didn't want to know. <laughs> like I mean, he was just he was just like, uh, I had to stick to my principles. 
because I said we will never make a decision without us three, right? The the, the talk I have, right? We're mm-hmm. a team. And uh, he goes, if Bobby doesn't get back to you in 15 minutes, we'll do it. And I was like, we got to wait for Bobby. Hold on. And But it was a tense few minutes until Bobby's like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. And uh, but oh, I remember. Yeah. So like, you know, you're like you're, you're trying to make this happen in, in, in a short amount of time. Uh, lots of love to Carlos uh, Lalinas, who also um, has been in Jared's corner for this fight. And uh, so this is going to be a, a big opportunity for Jared and a big weekend uh, for me as I start off as a manager. I might talk about it a little bit more on the show. I try to be as transparent on the show as possible. So um, why I got into management, maybe that's that's a good question. Um, that competitiveness that he talked about, I don't think it goes away on some people. I think that Rochelle has witnessed it, even with our kids and stuff, where like I play video games or chess against Sheesh. them. Um I think I think if you're born with it, like it doesn't go away. And I I said to Jared, I signed Jared and uh, Ross uh, at the same time, and I said to them that nobody wants to win more than I do. And I don't. I think they might have got it. Some some people don't. Um, I think Ken Wolf Mac got it too. But um, some people are like, they don't believe it. But trust me, I want Jared probably to win more than he does on uh, Saturday night. And so it's it's a lot competitive, um, but it's just not that. I've seen the game from every side. Now, not many people can say that they've seen the game from every freaking side. And having seen the game from every side, I understand what works. But before that even um, came into um, play, it's 10 years of networking with people. 10 years of just getting, uh, there's a saying, you've made it when you walk into a room and people know who you are and you don't have to introduce yourself anymore. I'm not saying I'm to that point and I'm not bragging, but it's, it, it takes a long time to build relationships in hand combat sports. And I felt that the time was right to, um, use those contacts and those bridges that I had. And I felt that I knew what I wanted in a fighter uh, the number one thing I look for is heart. And um, the first fighter I signed was Larkin Dash, who's been on the show a lot of times. And I went back um, to it and I, I looked. When we met Larkin Dash, she was 5-0, and oh, uh, Rochelle. Mm-hmm. She was 5-0 and oh before she fa- fought Juju. Juju. And um, we, we saw her coming out of the tunnel, both you and me, and she had lost. She took the fight on a Tuesday, had to make weight, a loss to Juju, but didn't get submitted, didn't get knocked out. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, we got to have her on the show, a lot of heart. And I asked her what she's going to do. She goes, I'm probably going back to college. From there, she made some bad decisions, short notice fights, short notice fights, right? In, out, out of state, too. Mm-hmm. And immediately, just as an example, I can tell you that like she went from like 5-0 and oh, to the top ten uh, ranked in the state, to you know, following falling a little bit, but Larkin is exactly like Jared in the fact that Larkin doesn't care who she fights, what the record is, and she'll fight. So I look for hurt more than anything, and it's a tough thing to see. You have to see it almost live. You have to talk to the person, and you have to know that they're not going to quit. 
and um the one thing but I they did also have a lot of faith in you and trust in you that you're gonna find them the right fight. I hope so, you know, and I hope I do. I mean, that's that's my worry, and I, I get more nervous than them to put them in opportunities to be successful and um, to try to do that and try to be successful with it. Um, but uh, so that's why I got into it, and uh, you'll you'll continually hear me have uh, people in here that we probably represent and um, MMA and boxing, and it's going to be a fun ride. I can tell you that. Um, you know, it's it's already been a lot of fun, and it's going to continue to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, another chapter to it with Jared at Madison Square Gardens. Uh, so anyways, the Hoobian down the street, uh, I don't know where they would rank. I don't think they're top 20 for me, but they're, some of their songs are really high up. Does that make sense, Rochelle? And, uh, it's something about, like... Sure. I'm not a Roger Daltrey fan. I'm not like a Pete Townsend fan, but like some of the Who songs are up there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's a different, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, am I disappointed I'm missing the Who? I, f- I forgot about it. Clearly we're here. But, um, like, I'm not a huge fan of the band, but I really like their music. I'll rock out to it. Well, there's not too many bands like that. You know, you either like them or you don't. Um, the Who falls in that category. Mm-hmm. I think even the Stones a little bit. Like, I'm not a Mick Jagger fan, but I love the Rolling Stones. I like Keith Richards. He entertains the shit out of me. I love the Rolling Stones. But, like, I'm a Bob Dylan fan. Anything Bob Dylan talked about, wrote about anything, like, I'm on it. So, like, I guess there's different aspects of it. But, um, so, my son had his uh, uh, friends out for... Uh, a concert and I went and saw Juice World, which I knew nothing about Juice World except one song, Lucid Dreams. And it was at Masonic Temple and I looked it up. This was the third time that Juice World had come through uh, Detroit. And there's something magical about catching a band. I'm not saying I'm the ultimate Juice World fan now. There's something magical about catching anybody at a point before they explode. Um, I've been lucky enough to have that happen with certain bands. One that sticks out is Garth Brooks. He opened for the Judds, and at that time, no one knew who Garth Brooks was. And he swung from ropes. He he stole the show from the Judds. Like I mean, and then the judge come the Judds come out and they're singing "Love Will Build a Bridge" and everything, and you just saw a rock and country show. Like I mean, you know, he just stole the freaking thing um but in a much smaller setting uh like you know the the pearl jams and all that like i've i've witnessed it i will tell you this that juice world is up there at a peak of like and i was trying to explain it to my son seeing somebody on a rise in a smaller venue now the garfrick sing was it in a smaller venue but just before they explode is something kind of magical I mean, he had everybody's attention in there and um, how they reacted. Seeing mosh pits again, which when I grew up with mosh pits was cool. It was just energy. You've seen a a band. You said, uh, what was the band that you saw at a much smaller venue? New Kids, right? New Kids. Right. Right before they explode, right? Mm -hmm. 
I saw Britney Spears at the State Theater before a baby hit me one more time and everything like that. Yeah, I saw a kid rock there. Uh, right. And just before she exploded, right? Mm-hmm. She came out like she had like two outfits and stuff, but it, 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 she was like 16 or 15 at the time. Mm-hmm. And somebody actually, um, um, I have the ticket stub still, but somebody said this person's going to be big. And that's why we went. And sure enough, Britney Spears, uh, we're praying for mental health because mental health is important. But she's having issues again. But I would say Britney is probably one of the top 20 most famous people in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you just say, oh, yeah. say Britney, bitch, and people know who Britney Spears is. But there's something magical about just catching that. And what I was going to say about it is I had fun. I'm not going to say I'm a Juice World fan. There's maybe one song I'd, I'd listen to, and it's not the Lucid Dreams one. But there's there's one that I would probably listen to going forward. I would probably never see him again, but I would rank it really high. And as a, as a show, just because uh, he had a live band, the band was up on like pillars and they were dark, but hearing rap with a live drum was a lot better than hearing it on a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He doesn't run back and forth with a mic like most rap stars do and stuff. He actually kind of like cradles it like Eddie Vedder and was singing kind of like rap, mm-hmm. if it makes sense. Um, but it's kind of neat that uh, I think we've talked about doing it before. Just going to see somebody before you know they'll explode. There's something kind of cool about that. And you just know when people are going to explode. Like, you know, like... Oh, yeah. The first time I ever saw a Justin Bieber video. You knew, like, boom, this guy's going to be huge. Instantly. Yep. I mean, he was a little bitty kid, but you knew that there was something there. And they always play that first first concerts in small venues. Those mm-hmm. tickets are impossible to get. One Direction. They sold, right. they sold out the Fox Theater yep. before they hit arenas. Yep. And I couldn't get tickets to that. But Felicity and I talk about it all the time. She knew who One Direction was when she was two. Right. I mean, and that's that was her childhood was One Direction. She's seen them like three three times. Yeah. But all is in big arenas because when they were just starting out, you couldn't get tickets. But another one of her bands, another her boy bands, I'd never heard of them before her. Sold out the Fox Theater in minutes. Yeah. So there's no question in my mind that Juice World, because this album is kind of new, um, is going to probably come back and play the LCA. But you're just not going to have the experience that the people had seeing it in the smaller theater. I mean, you just you felt his energy and stuff. And so it's kind of cool to just catch those people if you're lucky at the time. And well, um, any any sort of concert that's that is in that type of intimate setting is going to be just on another level. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's the feelings and the, the excitement and the energy you get from an arena show, you know, but then when you see someone, whether they already, you know, established uh, artist or if they are just starting out in, a, in an intimate setting like that, it's just awesome. It is. Yeah, absolutely. I saw Bonnie Raitt and I grew up listening to Bonnie Raitt, but I saw her when I was in my late 20s at the State Theater. Mm -hmm. And it's just you feel like you two are the only people in the room. Yep. It's just so cool. There is only a few times that people can do that. 
um, make you feel like you're the only people in the room in a, in a big concert. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul McCartney, when you sing Hey Jude with him and he goes side to side, just the girls, now the guys, you know, you're, you're actually, if you think about it, you're singing Hey Jude with Paul McCartney. Now you're singing it with 20 other thousand people. Yeah. But I remember when you took me to see him and I'm, all I kept thinking was just you're like, singing with Paul McCartney. It's mind blowing. Yeah. Even in, an arena. Yeah, because everybody's like, nah, 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 nah. But you're just like, that's that's a fucking beetle. It's like, tough. It's insane to think about. It's tough to think about. But that's one of those connections that somebody can do. Mm-hmm. You're singing Hey Jude with Paul McCartney. It's yeah. not you one-on-one, but you're, you're singing with Paul McCartney. You're part of something there. Yeah. Uh, it's really tough because you just can't make that connection. I thought Jack White... Um, did a really, really good job with this no cell phone uh, tour he had um, at Little Caesars Arena. But then Juice World was totally opposite. He wanted everybody to film and he wanted everybody's cameras out and he used the cameras to their, to his advantage with the lights. Like, yeah. he, you know, like to make it look like sparkles and lights and, and stuff like that. Everybody has the iPhone flashlights mm-hmm. or the Android flashlights. And, um, a lot of people were watching it through their phone or recording the whole concert. Um, but another plus is that Juice World is very like I don't I would say offensive, but thank God my son doesn't say the words that he says in 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 shows. At least around you. Yeah, no, I don't think he does. I really don't. Um, but it was neat to take kids to a concert that was well sold out. The the thing wrapped around the Masonic and. Um, you know, to see scalpers, uh, counterfeit uh, shirt people, which we saw some who ones out there. Uh, well, and then in a what is it? A, just a couple weeks, we have Jack White at the Masonic with the Racketeers. Yeah. Now, is that as big the Racketeers as Jack White? First think? one sold out. Well, I, I believe they're big, but like you know, like does he touch any white stripes? No, it's just a Racketeer, or I don't know. I'd have to look at a set. I don't know. But it's still like beyond cool that you're gonna. See when he's here, more than likely he's gonna stop off at his store and do a little. He did that for his last show. He oh, did yeah. a he did a little intimate concert inside yeah. of a store. Yeah, we're we're good at catching people. There. <laughs> Shut up. So we'll we'll be on top of that. We'll break breaking news. We'll sure. be on top of that. We'll periscope it. No, you got to be at one of those. Uh, uh, forget what they're called. The members. Of the uh, store. Oh, well, you were one at one no. time. Yeah, but not the during that. Club? Yeah, but okay. if you're part of that, you get, um, like the night before, they were selling tickets for like 20 bucks or something to go see him there. Yeah. It, the album club is a great idea for like a collector that's way above us. Like we, we collect, um, either we really, really want it. Or we collect a forty-five of something that we think is kind of cool. Although the Alabama Shakes, uh, a B-side, "You're Not Alone" live mm-hmm. is absolutely phenomenal. Maybe maybe one of my favorite live songs ever. And um, I would never got that if I didn't just take a chance on a forty-five. Yeah. At uh, I think they goaded us in, like you know, you get another one, and it's this. But like, I I love that song. "You're yeah. Not Alone" and um. Alabama Shakes is a band that I'd see if they came around, but I didn't even know of them. But I just play the vinyl and I listen. First sign, 
second song. Whoa, you know, pretty good, really good song. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it, it, it there's sort of something magical about seeing somebody before they just explode and then realizing that you'll never, ever, ever probably be able to see that again unless they go backwards. But it's that normally doesn't same. happen. Yeah. Well, new kids, you know, they they continued to make music. They stopped for a little bit and then they came back. Mm-hmm. And it's like for my age group, it's still like it was when we were 13. That's cool. Like they're still selling out shows. Backstreet Boys, they just celebrated 25 years right. of continuing to do this, still selling out shows. So Because we're... Jimmy accuses me of being too nostalgic, but Jimmy is like a cynical co-host. But it touches on the same thing that the Goldberg show does. Um, The Goldbergs remind you of your childhood, and it's it's a good show because of the way it's set up. You know, it's 1980-something. They don't get specific, and and it's something that you relate to your childhood. You're getting to kind of touch on a nostalgic part of your your special part of your life, dude. You had no responsibilities then. Uh, you, you, you're a kid growing up in, in the world's in front of you. You know, if you wanted to say you wanted to be a doctor the next day, you were going to be a doctor the next well, day. Yeah, when I tell... It's magical time. When I talk to my daughter about, like, you know, because of her boy band obsession, I'm like, you don't, like, you understand now. I'm like, but wait till you hit 30. Mm-hmm. I go, and then you, you're able to maybe see... I could totally see them getting back together from, you know, one tour or something in one direction. But like when new kids came back. That's going to happen. <laughs> They're going to run out of money because exactly. Simon, Simon Cowell probably took half of it. That's what I'm saying. So like when new kids like had their their comeback and to go see them again when I was like 32 years old. And then when I finally got to meet them when I was like, what, 39 years old, 38 years old. And I knew you then. You cried. You sent pictures. You were in Boston, but well, I stayed it's like back. a baby because it's, it strikes a chord that, like, you literally you feel like you're 13 again. Right. And you can't even put that into words like that, the emotion that goes through your body. Like, yep. it's a chemical reaction to, like, to see those. People that were just like such a huge part of your your crazy. adolescence. Think about it; it's crazy because there's a point in your life where you're like you're never gonna meet them. You're probably oh, you're yeah. in an arena and you're like it would never happen. And then you'd be like, let's wait by the buses and just watch them go by and wait. Yep, but and you're never it. gonna meet them, right? And I've met Donnie Wahlberg twice now. It happened with me with Eddie Vedder. There would the, you if you would have said the night before. That you're going to meet Eddie Vedder and spend, like, significant time with him? I'd say no, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. It's just, I mean, it just, he's too big, it, not going to happen. Yeah, it's so out like, of I reach. Mean, right. It's just like, no way. Not going to happen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then not only that, make a, a pretty cool friend that I like from the Pearl Jam family and stuff and, mm-hmm. and get to experience that whole night. That's why I was upset Chelly's was closing down is because there was a really special night that you just i mean i I think about if imagine if i had to like go back and get car keys or like there's so many things that had to happen in the universe 
to make that night happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and have great seats and all that stuff. It's just like you, you, you wonder on all that. But you, there was a period in your time when you're like, I'm not going to meet that person. And then you do. Right. Like there's still a couple that if if it ever happened, I'd just be like, like dumbfounded. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but yeah. New Kids on the Block was like my entire childhood. Yeah. I I don't I don't get excited for any boxers. I just I I just those just feel like stupid people. They're real people. Right. It's just everyday Joes. But except Canelo. But when there was a part of me the first time I met Mike um that I was like, you know, my my dad passed away when I was really young, but I was just sitting there thinking, you know, watching Tyson Spinks versus my dad. I'd be like, I wonder what my dad's thinking right now in heaven. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm with Mike Tyson. Like that is something that, like, once again, as a child, you would be like, in how big he was, mm-hmm. you're never gonna be Mike Tyson. I mean, he was Mike Mike Tyson, dude. I mean, you know, shook his hand. His hand like engulfs you, and you, it it's that's not only that a, we, it's surreal. Deep conversations, like get to know him, you know, and, and everything like that. People are like, "Oh my god, this guy's gonna be this and that," and then he was total opposite. Mm-hmm. Really cool, um, you know. Respects Detroit boxing history. It was just, but but like, but that's another guy that, uh, and I wasn't even really excited the first time I met him. I've met him um, many times after, but uh, I thought about my dad. I was just like, my dad would think this is crazy mm-hmm. with Mike Tyson. And then I thought about the video game. That video game meant everything to me, that Mike Tyson oh, video game. Out. Right. And it wasn't even still I was with Mike Tyson. It was like, holy shit, that video game was like really <laughs> popular, you know? Like, I mean, Mike Tyson's punch out. But... um but yeah, in the music industry, I imagine there's people that do exactly what I do for boxing and MMA, and probably um, I love all the boxers and MMA people I do meet. Um, but they're just real; they're real people. But there's DJs, probably Mojo in the morning, stuff like that. I've met so many people that it's not too big big of a deal. I probably met uh, Camila Cabello, all all these people. And Taylor Swift on their way up and stuff and be like, yeah, you know, it's cool. It's stuff like, you know, it's just yeah. to them a job, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, just a res- respectful, you know, job and stuff like that. I think boxing is the one sport and I told Scott. But it also has allowed you when you do meet highly famous celebrities to not freak out. It's it's given you the the talent, the the know how is to speak to them as if they're just normal people. Whereas I can't speak when Donnie Wahlberg says something to me or I just burst down in tears because I'm just like in awe. Yeah. I was there. Um <laughs> just saying like I was there the second time. You're able to you're able to, to talk to them like they're people, like and I, I just can't do that. But that's a lot of practice. I've exactly. Met a that's lot what of I'm people. saying. That this has allowed you to, to do that. I've met a lot of people, and then um, that I guess people would consider as famous. And then there's a right way and a wrong way for them to handle people. And then there's a right way and wrong way to approach them. 
and, and that's the one that's the that's the one thing that um i guess i've become pretty good at mm-hmm. is that uh you know they're just they're 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 You're like don't talk to them about their work right they're they're definitely humans um you know the from a sport perspective though um boxing and mma are probably the most accessible athletes and so if you were to like try to meet people or would want your kids to meet people um it's really tough to meet major league baseball players we you know we saw how the cubs got out of comerica park and stuff and we saw the tigers how they boarded from wrigley field like that that's tough you're mm-hmm. gonna have to randomly catch them on a street as a kid but if you go to a weigh-in or take a kid to a weigh-in or take a kid to uh not the event itself, but mm-hmm. the whole pre-fight. Pre-fight. That's the cool thing about boxing is like a week event leading up to the the thing. Yeah, um, you'll have an opportunity to meet. You might not meet Joshua, but you, you're going to meet the undercard and you're going to meet some fighters. Mm-hmm. But you, there was a time when you could have met Joshua. Right. Um, it's just a more accessible sport. The team sports they have their own security. We we recognize the Cubs security. <laughs> like you know, they have their own security. They travel with their wives. They're tired after a game, um, you know. Um, also, I think, uh, and Cody's not here to hit me in the face, but I think there's a little bit of uh, a little bit of ego with fighters, and they like the attention. Oh, he would admit that. And uh, if you that. if you like the attention, you want people to want to take pictures with you. So I think that's a another and reason. And social it's media a lot feeds easier. right into that, right? Um, you know, hey, look I mean, at me. Yeah. You know, all you need to do is have a, you know, a reason to take a picture with a fighter and a fighter's going to uh, uh, take care of that. My kids are wonderful. Yeah. So. uh, I mean, even if you don't get the picture with the person, you got your kid there to to get the picture with them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I, I actually like that better. Yeah. I mean, um, there's uh, Miguel Miguel Cabrera, Mm -hmm. Aiden. I didn't even get a picture with him. It was about Aiden and stuff right. like that. But I've met people bigger than Miguel Cabrera, but one of the best hitters of all time. But uh, pictures are better than autographs. It's just Hands absolutely, down. you know, um, it's just if, if you can get a picture with somebody, that's 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 everything. Um, but uh, to get a picture and a signature is pretty, pretty cool. Uh, with the Vetter situation, it was weird because it was like, I didn't, like, I didn't know what for him to sign and I had him sign the ticket stub in retrospect. Um, I don't know if I would have done that, but, um, I don't know. I just, it was on the spot. I was like, what the freak well, am I too bad you have? couldn't have had him sign something from Chelly's. No, 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 no. Well, I wouldn't. Because that's I, where I like, you were. I know. I, I like that, but I wouldn't have wanted that. That it was, it was either going to be the ticket stub or the poster like it was going to be either mm. either or the poster the problem was i would have to have gone back to the car and get back oh, in yeah, no no you don't move that magical moment <laughs> no. but the ticket stub was readily available yeah. but i knew i had an opportunity here to probably get that too so but like yeah you leave the chance you know mm-hmm. you might not get back and you know like oz didn't exist anymore or something like <laughs> yeah. that so 
Midnight in Paris. But the ticket sub's still very well preserved, and uh, Vetter's signature is like really cool. So it was a, like, a really cool night. Um, I'm trying to think of any other sport. Golf, very accessible before the tournament starts. Mm. Uh, if you go to the practice rounds and stuff and wait by the clubhouse, you can get um, uh, golfer signatures. And oh, I'd um, like a Ricky Fowler one. Well, the, what I want to do is uh, picture me and Fred Couples. And Fred Couples was my dad's favorite golfer. And um, I have the picture, but I have not yet um, re-met fred couples again since that that would be one i'd want you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. with me and him standing on the green from the tpc in dearborn and um the, what we would do is we would go on a a wednesday during practice round before the thursday tournament started and all we would do is wait by the clubhouse for fred uh couples to walk walk in and uh walk by and um golf's an accessible one i imagine the lesser sports like bowling and stuff although there, there's some stars in bowling i guess what? there is no, i'm not. friends with somebody that's a bowling star i don't even know how that happened uh, that's how much i don't care about my social media uh-huh. she's on teaching kids like how to bowl okay but she's really good at bowling too she's like in her 30s okay and i have to think if i went to college with her or something i don't know how we became friends <laughs> but she has like this spandex shirt with all these sponsors on it and then she wears a black skirt and she bowls all the time oh. and uh yeah i don't know how that came about there's some people on my i'm like how'd that come up like somebody had to ask somebody well, and see, i know it wasn't me a couple of the cool things that i've been able to do because Comic-Con and the people coming through that aspect, but my favorite mandolin player, I've been able to meet him, I want to say three times. Mm-hmm. So the first time, you get your picture taken with him. Mm-hmm. Second time you meet him, you have that picture, you have them sign that picture. Right. And you get another picture. So I, I've been able to do that with him. And Sean Aston, I was able to meet him three times i think no twice i didn't go meet him at comic-con but i met him at the comic book store but again i was able to uh, because of the the tattoo situation i had him sign a picture of the tattoo instead of getting it but i also had the picture with him mm-hmm. but it was cool because the chris Thiele one was cool because you were able to take back that picture like if you were to see fred couples again you could take that picture and have him sign that picture mm-hmm and he probably doesn't even remember that day, but to me, that day was like a pretty big deal. Exactly. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? I feel like, do you remember that day? No. Well, that's just Not it. Like with some of these celebrities, what they do, like to them, is just like a a breathe in, breathe out thing. Yeah. Taking a picture with a random person, but to that person, it's like it could mean everything to them. The Fred Couples was a big one because it, it centered on my dad was a huge Fred Couples fan. And you know what? Fred Couples was cool because like um, uh, Ashworth Golf Apparel, um, he was known for being laid back and just not not as like tense about the sport and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I did, I, I take stuff from people that I like. And the one thing I did take from Fred Couples or learn that day from him is that like, you know, enjoy, enjoy the walk. And if don't take a golf cart if you don't have to. You know what I'm saying? You're you're outside. You know, like let the people wait behind you. Don't rush to get to the ball. 
walk to your ball, you know what I'm saying? And enjoy kind of you're out in nature and stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, and don't, don't speed walk to it. It's kind of, it's, it's supposed to be golf. It's supposed to be relaxing and, you know, don't get in a golf cart. You know, before that I was a very, um, golf cart, let's get golf in at two. Now it's more about, you know, I want to golf to relax, you know, so it, it would be totally different. And I kind of mm-hmm. learned that from, Hammy, he was just like, what's the hurry? <laughs> it's yeah. like, don't we got to, you know, no, no, don't worry. <laughs> you know, I, I like that. Unless attitude. there's a storm coming in. <laughs> yeah, that's always scary, dude. Especially, um, God, I could tell you great golf stories, but um, I was shooting very well on uh, the one on uh, Ford Road or the one wherever Dynamic Boxing Gym is, Warren Valley, and uh, through seven I was doing really well and a storm was coming and like, you're not going to get to finish the round. And that mm-hmm. was very like, how, how long are you going to risk it? And you see the lightning like from Ann Arbor and it's coming around, you you're, know, and I'm you're like, like oh, maybe I can get there. Yeah. I wonder what I would have finished Chanson. that day. Like, I wonder what I would have finished that day. I remember the windbreaker I had on because it was just like, the wind was just like, just making it make the, the old windbreaker noise. The whee, 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 <laughs> and uh, I wish I, I wish I could have finished that round. I'd like to see what I did. What was it? <laughs> like you know that one. Like like you can't sneak up on on anyone. Like I have one of those left, the Cedar Point one, the VIP one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't sneak up on anybody on that. Like even the cats like perk up. They're like, what's that? Uh, but I had one of those windbreakers. They make them quiet now, quieter now. Yeah, I had one of but, those purple ones, surf style or whatever. <laughs> surf style. Everybody had surf style, dude. And uh. You know they uh, they were like kind of rainbowish color the surf yeah. style yeah or or fluorescent iridescent purple yeah that was pretty popular in the beach scene yeah and fanny packs are making a comeback and you know my what? daughter just bought one I, I hate to say it but Daring and Cody were a little ahead of that I know he's over in Japan but, rocking his leather one but it's it's so like that one's just so practical. You know what I'm saying? Like, you always need more space. <laughs> you always need more space. Now, the funny thing is, uh, so I'm flying out uh, to New York. I just think a fanny pack on my, my belly would look right. so ridiculous. <laughs> like, do you put it under? Do you put it on top? Do you put it in well, the middle? I was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it just it doesn't work. Out. I'm flying out to New York on Thursday. So, um, yeah, airlines are very strict. The fanny pack count? Oh. As a carry-on. No. You know why it probably wouldn't? Because purses don't. Because purses don't. Okay. Because like a fanny pack gets you like another. Yeah. Another like little another, another little gadget on there. foot of, of But if it doesn't, I'm not going to pay $45. It's just going in the dumpster. Because like to get luggage, it's like $45. Like I, they like they told me like if you want more Here's luggage, it's like $45. I'm like, well, that well, clearly wasn't you're... budgeted in. Just just call the airline. Oh, fanny pack question. Yeah. <laughs> we got a fanny pack guy. Hold on. Yeah. Fanny pack guy. <laughs> Does it count as a purse? Yeah. How big is your fanny pack? What <laughs> side do you wear it on? Is it going to disturb the other passengers? No. It's funny. I didn't. Uh, the Are other... there any liquids or perishables? Yeah, exactly in there. But I mean, that could keep that could keep actually a lot. Um, I should actually. Uh, that would, Co- that would, Cody was training in Denver. That would prevent you from having to put stuff in your pocket. Take it all out of the pocket. Put it in the little dump. The little 
fuck I, it and have that run through. You just take that, unhook it. I'm a master Go. at the airport security. I'm pretty good. I can get through. Now, I thought they broke my watch to in Vegas and then you fix it in two seconds. But um, I thought that's what I do. I thought I thought they broke it. But I'm really quick there. It's the people. It's the it's the families. Like, you just don't want to get behind. Oh, you see a stroller. You see a stroller <laughs> or a baby uh, seat? You're like, no, <laughs> no, no. Because, like, they're, like, you know, trying to walk through with the kids. And they're, like, one at a time. And then the one kid has to be carried. It's just a mess, you know. And they're the, they're the people that, like, don't realize that they still have their belts on and, like, stuff that you can't I don't do. know. Uh, see, I've traveled with... One, two, three, four kids at a time. Right. Um, and Felicity was shit. She was just over a year old. But I also do that clear thing now. And that jumps yeah, you. Yeah, wasn't even there. Like it just scans your eyes and goes, okay. Um, but no, so I'm, I'm really, really, really good at that. So how we got way off subject is we were talking about Fred Couples and other people that you could meet. But um, maybe we'll have a show or maybe I'll uh, – because I want to get more interactive with um, the people that listen to our show. Maybe we'll put that out as a question about who's who. Who did you meet that was like you know life changing to you, or or uh, you know I don't know. It was a big event to to you, or uh, my life changing person that I met was Brad Snyder. Ah, uh, look at you go. Yeah. It's very nice. <laughs> Be like that's that's very nice. <laughs> Until you meet Chris Pratt or Harrison Ford, you don't have much time on Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford looks a little bad. And the thing about that is that my son is named after him, and my other son was almost named after another Harrison Ford character. I, know. I mean, it's. There's a, I have a connection there. Right. Just, but just like if I was to meet Carrie Russell, though, it, again, it'd be like, you know, my daughter's named after your character. Right. Now, uh, it'd be, it, it's different, like her versus a Harrison Ford character because Indiana Jones and Han Solo are just such part of our history. Yeah, so a news story came out, and it was on a, a verified news source that Harrison Ford said he'd rather um, the, in, the Indiana Jones character die with him or not be played anymore than for Chris Pratt to reboot it. Now, here's what's interesting about it. George, so George Lucas did him with American Graffiti, mm -hmm. and then he ended up in the Star Wars films. And then Spielberg has always been close with George, George Lucas. Spielberg did the Indiana Jones movies. Mm -hmm. He might be in a position to stop reboots. I bet you he could probably That's say, right. you know what I'm saying? Like He might have enough power. Until he's dead. And you, but if you're Spielberg, you might be saying, I see what they're doing with the Star Wars well, movies. Well, they tried to do, well, when they did, it's almost like when they did Crystal Skull. And even though he was in it, it just didn't capture it Horrible the way. Film. Right. It did not. And it could have been the writers. I mean. Aliens. It could have Shia LaBeouf. Aliens. But I'm just saying it, it wasn't the same. No. And as it is, they're doing another Ghostbusters. Right, and it won't be the same. No. That's a cash grab. Exactly. 
But and the Bill in- Murray doesn't need that. But the Indiana Jones wasn't a cash grab. That no. was just he felt like it needed another storyline, and I don't think it needed it. like uh, a lot of people like through the Sean Connery with the dad. That's I don't really the like this one. See, I don't like that one. Love that one. Um, but um, I'm because I like the the bantering between the two. Right, his dad and his, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Indiana was the dog. Right, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but he might have enough power to stop that. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Spielberg might be another guy, to tell you the truth, that would say, you know what? When I pass away, I really don't want – I mean, we're getting to witness right now what Disney's doing with Star Wars. And Spielberg might look at that from a distance and go – I mean, now Indiana Jones wouldn't have amusement parks or anything like that because Star Wars is just a crazy universe. But you might look at it and say, without creative control or when I'm gone, I'd rather them just be what – they were. And if you're Chris Pratt, as much as you want to be Indiana Jones and as much as you wanted to be kid as Indiana Jones. If you hear you, Harrison Ford say that, you got to respect that and walk away. No, you you can't succeed. People are not going to think you're Indiana Jones. No. Now, here's here's how I'll prove this. Who was the second Bond after Sean Connery? He only did one movie. You'd have to look it up, but he only did one. Uh, it's a tough role to fill. You're going to be the guy taking over for Harrison Ford. It, no, who did Roger Moore did it after him? No, Roger Moore did a lot of movies after him. It was one guy, mm. and then he did one, and that was it. But see, there's been other people who've played Indiana Jones, but like at a different age. The, yeah, yeah, but you know, I understand what Harrison Ford was saying, but what, what I was just saying is he might just have enough clout. Mm-hmm. Lucas and Spielberg are friends. He's obviously clearly like I heard he had a lot of influence in Han Solo dying in Lucas's film, and actually gave Lucas uh, or the Star Wars people mm-hmm. the idea of killing off Han Solo. And so, like, they, he, like he's almost credited with that. Like, spoiler, in case you haven't seen him. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah. But, like, I think um, if you Google it, it was, like, something he had suggested at one time to George Lucas. Like, in the first three films, like, he goes, he should die in Return of the Jedi. And then it came back again where it's, like, you know, other people are doing it and stuff, but he's, like, hey, he should die. Um, uh, So, anyways, uh, and then maybe he saw the new Han Solo movie. Which we were friends kind of with John Donovan and he didn't like – he's a Han Solo guy and he didn't like Han Solo. He, he didn't know. He said he it was better than what he thought it was going to be and to watch them all in the order. Yeah. You know, because again, like with Rogue One. But Harrison Ford like saw One. somebody play an iconic character that he did and maybe he's like, I don't want Chris Pratt to do that. I tell you, Chris think, Pine would it's... be better than Chris Pratt as Indiana Jones. I think Chris Pine can do a lot. Yeah. Chris... But I think Chris Pratt, because he's already taken on large roles in that sort of genre. <sighs> the Jurassic World Jurassic ones World suck. and, and Guardians. Guardians, he's good, but he's playing an ensemble cast. 
Right. But I think that because he's already like he got huge because of that sort of genre, like you can't stick in that genre. You got to you got to move out of it now. You think he's trying. um, If you're Chris Pratt. And you're you're that funny guy. Do you think that you think he'll he'll do something like a. Bill Murray started doing dramatic films. You, you, th- you think we're ready for a Chris Pratt, like like a one out of the blue where he's not going to be funny? Like, There's always the actors that try that. They're like, oh, I'm just tired of playing that guy. And uh, Bill Murray has some very serious movies later in his career that are, are not typical Bill Murray films. And um, But like, I wonder if Chris Pratt, or or those type actors, they have situations where they they're have like, to. yeah, like I want to challenge myself. Except, I don't I mean, want to laugh. Well, anymore. I think in that industry, you have to try to move out of that, and and I mean to be pigeonholed in that type of role. And it couldn't be a better time because you have Netflix, Hulu. They're all doing original movies. Yeah, so like, and all those all those big stars, they're going. Into that stuff anyway, right? So you you have more whether opportunities. it be a, a TV series on like HBO or Netflix, or it's a right. one shot movie. But mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're definitely rivaling. Yeah, you know the box office, the old one for me, one for you adage. One for me, one for you in Hollywood. Or do you think he's going to go even like a step further and Play do a like villain. no and go? Do something uh, off Broadway. Chris Pine? Or not Chris? uh, He's done theater? No, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Like, that would be a curveball. Right. Uh, James Earl Jones wanted to finish in theater and he, he and he was on Broadway and but he came from theater, didn't he, at U of M? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So like I, I, I think that if you love theater, you always love theater. And I think actors that try to do theater and use their big name but aren't from theater don't realize how hard it is and how much time goes into it and stuff. I like the actors that will go back to it. Um, prime example, when I was at um, Chicago uh, studying, uh, David Schwimmer had o- opened up a, a theater outside in the suburbs of uh, Illinois mm-hmm. because he uh, did I say his name right from friends mm-hmm. David Schwimmer David Schwimmer had started a theater group and he was actually acting with that theater group like you could go see I think you could see David Schwimmer like um in um oh shit what the heights area out, out there north uh, Illinois but he went back so this is either friends was close to being done or was done and he went back and he uh uh, started a theater group because he was he liked theater. I think it's easier to do it if you've done it before. Oh, I yeah. think Chris Pratt on Broadway would be like just horrible. Weird. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then he would appreciate like, I mean how many auditions you have. Like, I just you, don't know that he's that we haven't been able to see him as that well of an actor. You haven't seen him in a, uh, enough challenging of a role. Right. That's why I think that soap opera stars, think about this, right? Okay. No, no, no. Think about this. Mm -hmm. We live in a world that lives forever. Like there's a million videos of Juice World on this tour. 
there's no box sets of soap operas. If you miss one, the chances of you maybe catching it on soap net. Oh my God, I didn't think of that. But they're gone forever. Well, Your body because, of work is gone. It. Think about it. They're daily. Where do you start? Yeah, there's, but they're daily. That's they're what not, I'm saying. They're not so much seasons. Right. So like that as an actor has to be frustrating because your body of work vanishes unless somebody's out there really re-recording DVDs out there. And, but still, they're not distributed. Mm-hmm. If you miss them a day, you, I'm, you can miss a month and come back and the storylines are the same. But you're, you're, everything's saved on DVD sets or is available on Hulu or Amazon except soap operas. Hmm. So like those actors really must love acting because it doesn't live forever. Yeah, but then you see that they live and die. Yeah. In those roles. I know. And then pretty much after that, it's so rare that they go on beyond that because, like I said, they literally right. live and die. Well, I was thinking. Doing those roles. So I was thinking, although that their stuff isn't there forever, I was thinking that um, that would be one of the tougher jobs because they probably shoot a lot because of how often it is and have to remember lines. Chris Pratt probably has to remember lines for a few days, gets the scene over, restarts again. Mm-hmm. I think in this is Jimmy would be getting a hard on right now. I'm giving theater credit. <laughs> um, I think it's difficult to remember word by word and and do that. And that, that's a skill that an actor that isn't from theater would struggle with. Well, I not really only the, the, the words, but the the placement. Right. The timing. Right. I mean, that all has to be on point every day. Right. Sometimes twice a day. Right. For like months at a time. Right. And I'm sure after a while it becomes second nature, but. Right. Kevin Smith once said it was horrible to work with Will Ferrell. And he said day day one, day two, it was it was funny. And then uh, it was the one where Jay and Bob strike back. They go to Hollywood and Will Ferrell was the sheriff taking them. Oh my God. And he said that he couldn't stay on script. He was always ad-libbing. Some of it was fun, but then it was so far away from the script that Kevin Smith didn't feel like it was his stuff. So that's the other thing that actors do, and it sometimes gets in a movie. You could never do that on theater because you're changing the play. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like maybe Will Ferrell could have a one one person act and everyone be different. But – um. For the most part, you got to communicate what the uh, the theater thing is. Now, Chris Pratt might throw in a funny line with uh, the guy in the green suit who's playing uh, Rocket. Green suit that's playing Rocket, <laughs> uh, James Gunn's uh, brother, and, and it might they might say, "Hey, that works," but in theater, that wouldn't be wouldn't be allowed. You know what I'm saying? And how many we just watched actually uh, one of my favorite movies, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Marshall. And uh, we've never watched the extras, and we did. And there was the the very funny scene where he's talking to uh, Bill Hader mm-hmm. um, when he's in Hawaii. How many times did they mess up a simple scene where they're like, do it over, do it over again? It went on for like almost 10 minutes. Now, Bill Hader comes from uh, live live Improv, performance. yeah. But how many times did he laugh and, and, and go out of character? And just like, you know, uh, what, Stefan, 
was his character. I mean, that's all laughing almost. Once he mm-hmm. once he gets going, the Californians, he's laughing like crazy. All it takes, and then for Jim, Jimmy Fallon when he did it, if someone else laughed, he was done. Mm-hmm. Like he laughed the whole time. And the funny thing about that is that they work on that all week, and it still makes them laugh come Saturday. I wonder if there's a little Jack Daniels in the back room or something and they else. Still don't know the lines half the time. I know. Well, the especially the the host. The hosts always read off the cue cards, like oh. Robert De Niro or something. They're like, "So what you're saying, Bobby is?" And then Bobby's over there. They're like, you can clearly see they're reading the cards. Yeah. But think about how hard that is. They so they they get the host, and then there's been uh, Tina Fey talked about it. Everyone talked about it. So like in Saturday Night Live, like they brainstorm. Once they get the host who comes in on Monday and are writing skits on Tuesday, they're up to date with what's happening politically. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, they have like a, a boardroom table of what might work, might, what might not. Thursday, Friday, they try to pan it out and, and, and work it in. And then Saturday, that's the crazy thing. That's still a live show. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Saturday Night Live. It goes live and you get that. That's That's cool. I hope Saturday Night Live never goes away. Like you know, Lorne Michaels is 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 almost like Hugh Hefner or some or, <laughs> no. or some people where like when he's gone, will it continue? It might. It probably won't be as good, but um, because he has a, an incredible knack of finding talent, uh, talent, and that can't be easy. Make me laugh. Well, that's my Lorne Michaels impersonation. Make me laugh. You know, my friend actually named his son Lorne after Lorne Michaels. I wouldn't doubt it. He's a very private person. But very successful. So, so is my friend. Wow. He moved to the other side of the country and we never see him anymore. Huh. Oh, that one. Yeah. I do know him. I don't think he was a Saturday Night Live fan. Look look to see if there was a DJ He one. probably was, but I think his, his significant other oh, couldn't boy. have been. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Icky situation. Saturday Night Live. So the uh, we'll close on this note. If there's ever been a show that's benefited from things being broken down into clips, easily Saturday Night Live. Because Saturday Night Live always had five that weren't funny. Mm. And then one that was like kind of good. And then every third episode you had one that's just absolutely hilarious. they had more commercials. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean like they're, they're skit. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, when, uh, what's his name left? Adam. Uh, um, yeah, th- those kind of went the, the San- TV Andy, fun, Andy Sandberg. TV Funhouse stuff left. Oh, I but, hate TV Funhouse. But they, the, those kind of things, like that were production stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I love when somebody unexpected stops by too on Saturday Night Live and mm-hmm. is part of the show. You're like getting two hosts at once. That was very um, cool. Uh, Alec Baldwin just randomly is there. Well, now Alec Baldwin has to hold the record because he does Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, was Steve Martin held the record or something like that, but now it's got to be Alec Baldwin. But anyways, um, but hosting clip clips and little little pieces of uh, clips and little pieces of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Clips and little pieces of like. Fast forwarding Saturday Night Live, this technology right now is perfect for it. When we were when you were a kid and you sat through, um, you're tired, you're barely staying awake, and you're 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 sitting through a bad skit. Oh my god, it was it was rough watching it live. Yeah, and then and then some to just go back to it. Some didn't work. There are so many commercials. Once you right. hit that second act of it, yep. Or a music act you hate. 
Well, you never heard of? Yeah. Justin Timberlake as the host. Now. Now welcome, Luna. Yay. You know, and she comes out with her keyboard, and you're like, this is going to suck. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up. Uh, let's. Uh, it may be a lasagna Tuesday next week. It could be. It applies to all That's fighters. It's a lot of lasagna in like a week and a half because I have to make it the weekend after. We go to New York. We get that when you make that lasagna. It's the rules. All right. We are going to call it a day. Get out of the studio. Maybe see if the traffic from the who's gone. And uh, talk to everyone soon. Take care.